Kay Moeller, and this is Anatomy of Change, a podcast series about the struggle and connection in making courageous change in the systems and structures that thread our lives. Because this question around mental illness and how we talk about mental illness is a much bigger question that goes beyond the abortion question. But how do we treat mental illness in our society? It's not something you just pick up your boots and carry on. It may work for a time, but then it crushes you. It compounds you. And it can nearly kill you. And it does. And so this idea of what mental illness is and what does it really mean. They're much better than I am to try and kind of reduce the, uh, the anxiety. When they step in the, the women's care center, the first thing that they try and do is they practically congratulate them. And they're so excited to see them and to meet with them because the mother may not see herself as yeah, she, she may walk in there with a with a with a guilty complex because she's responsible for why she's pregnant. But the counselors look look beyond that. They they see someone who's loved by God, and they're aware that they've probably been told that there's an easy way to fix this problem. Again, the child is viewed as a, has become a problem for them because. You know, the timing wasn't right. You know, I took birth control. This wasn't supposed to happen, you know. And so the, the counselor is able to say, you know what? Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> but, it, but it really, I mean, I, I hear you, Father, but many times it's not fine. I shared with Father Thomas that I think it's just too easy to have rose-colored glasses and assume or wish everything will turn out right. When there's poverty, mental illness, abuse, avoiding the next chapter for everyone else and putting it on the woman and this idea that, you know, the heavens will open up and, and provide. And so I wonder, is it really just an easy button for everyone else. It's it's a little bit of, you know, pessimism. Our Lord was poor. Chose to be raised in a poor family. I think there's some advantages in being poor, actually. It makes us more dependent upon God, not ourselves. When we're wealthy and we got everything, you know, secured and we have all we got all these uh, idols to, to protect us from everything. Insurance policies, expensive ones. Sometimes when you're poor and you can't afford those things, your your ultimate guide and, and protector is is God, and that's that's what happens to a person actually when they, when they go to confession. They 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 confess all these sins, and right right as they're confessing them, they're being destroyed, and so they talk talk about vulnerability, and I, I appreciated hearing that in the in the interviews, being vulnerable. Oh, mm-hmm. that that's what it takes to go to confession, man. You got to be vulnerable. Get us open yourself up, and it, you know, and but wow, what happens with the, in that vulnerability is you, you confess all these bad choices, sins against God, sins against neighbor, myself, 
in that vacuum comes this childlike dependence on on God, which is what humility is. So we walk out of that confession being humble. I'm happy because I'm free. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> That's the biggest joy when people walk out of confessions. They they feel this huge weight taken off their their shoulders. They feel they feel free again. Like they can come out and expose themselves in society and embrace one another and move on in life, you know? <laughs> I know, you know, Father, but I, I I struggle because I get I understand what you're saying. Like it can be if you're if you're turning to your faith, if you're turning to God, that can fill you in ways that releases the shame, fills you with love, fills you with maybe a different sort of empowerment to move on in a way that, you know, carries this life. But there are so many people that walk out of that confession. <laughs> And they face into poverty or they face into their their ability to have equitable access to the basic life needs or the struggles that they're having can't just be like flipped. The lack of the, the things that we need, you know, all of us need education, housing, food, health care. Those are all things that people naturally have a right to have. That's why the church has always had a preferential option for the poor. You know, whatever we do as a church in our vocation to bring people, lead them to salvation, is, you know, to not ignore the, the poor. Don't, don't be indifferent to the poor. Well, I say the most vulnerable people of all are not the poor, but they're the, they're the unborn, the, the preborn. In fact, that's a very dangerous place to be, is in the womb. You don't know the disposition of of the mother or father. When you think about the church and in your work today, mm-hmm. and a woman makes the decision to continue to have the abortion, yeah. where is the church, if they're Catholic and in the Catholic faith, is there still the work of excommunication at play when you're surrounding even women post-abortion. Where is the church stance today? Well, um, I really like what Pope Francis has done today. He's given all priests the the faculty to absolve and give absolution to anyone who had an abortion or anyone who, who participated materially or formal cooperation in an abortion. He's given us the faculty to, to absolve, um, which would normally be this, the center of, of excommunication. Mm-hmm. But there are conditions to be excommunicated, even with having an abortion. There, one has to be of a certain age. One has to have full knowledge of what, you know, what they were doing and, uh, and to incur the, um, you know, the penalty of excommunication. You know, those, those conditions need to be there. Need, they need to exist. To absolve someone who did have full knowledge and and freedom, sometimes we're not sometimes we're not free to carry out an act. We're, we're forced you know, through through pressure or coercion, you know, to have an, an abortion, and that that reduces responsibility, mm-hmm. culpability. Father Thomas then shares the connection between mortal sin and excommunication in the Catholic Church. It has to be a grave a grave act committed. It has to be 
knowledge that, that it's clearly wrong. And then there has to be free consent of the will. And if all three are present, that's mortal sin. But excommunication is really worse than that. It's trying to say, listen, it, you know, there, there are some sins that are more grievous than others. So there's this natural bond between mother and child. When one, either the child kills the parent or the parent kills the child, it's, it's more grievous. And so excommunication is, is a penalty. You might say it's, it's pastorally designed to help bring about reconciliation, conversion, to kind of rectify a, a serious matter. Do you think that's the church, and this is where I break down because I'm, I'm not Catholic, mm-hmm. but where did this come from that the church has sort of this judgment body to say, I shall then excommunicate you, if also the church is about grace and forgiveness and love? Yeah, I yeah, see, that's that's the thing. Yeah, see, people will see excommunication as a uh, shaming. Yeah, it, I mean, it is a punishment, and a lot <laughs> of times it can be it can be public. It doesn't doesn't have to be public. I guess I guess it depends on the on the on the. Sin. I think it would be very public. Well, some, some you know, a lot of people might commit adultery or fornication, and nobody else knows about it. You know, it's a. Uh, I mean, all sin affects everybody, besides the individual that committed this sin because if we're wounded, all the relationships are going to be wounded with other people too. So, it, so we have an interest in everybody's health. We, we benefit from that socially. Is there excommunication for anything other than abortion? Oh yeah. 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 If you, you strike the Pope or, or yeah, no, seriously. yeah. <laughs> like me, if I, if I reveal the seal of confession, if I break the seal of confession, Oh, I'm excommunicated. You see how serious that is? See, that, that, that's why there's excommunication. I mean, it's, it's so horrendous, you see, that you just, you just don't want to go there. I then shared with Father Thomas the story out of Brazil in 2009 which after our conversation, I learned even more about. The case was a pregnant nine-year-old who had been raped and impregnated with twins by her stepfather. The girl weighed 80 pounds, and according to the director of the hospital, if the pregnancy continued, she could suffer a ruptured uterus and hemorrhage and ran the risk of diabetes, hypertension, eclampsia, and lifelong sterility. Her mother, who was a devout Catholic, was excommunicated from the church along with the doctors who performed the abortion. Abortion is illegal in Brazil except in cases of rape or when the mother's life is in danger, which both applied in this case. But the church took the position that an unborn child is most definitely innocent. Taking that life cannot be ignored. And the case caused an uproar. Ultimately, the church reversed their position And the archbishop said that at no time did he want to hurt someone who was already hurting, but only wished to draw attention to the gravity of the deed of abortion in the face of a certain permissiveness regarding the life of the unborn. A willful act of destroying a human life. It's a direct violation of that fifth commandment, thou shalt not commit murder. Catholic politicians have this have this issue today. They 
they don't practice their faith that seriously or they don't know it that well. Here, Father Thomas shared his view about Catholic politicians that are pro-choice. And so they're trying to find ways to see that they're in good standing with the church, but they're really not because, you know, a lot of the politicians will say, well, you know, I'm personally against abortion, but I'll tolerate it. I'll, you know, I'm, I'm for a woman or a mother to make the difficult decision to abort her child. I'll leave that to her, but I'm personally against it, but I'll give her the right to do that. Well, that's moral relativism. You know, morality just becomes a, an individual, personal thing. Depends on the person, how they how they view it. They're not in good standing, but I think a better description would probably be to say that they're more of a Catholic heretic because they're espousing a falsehood, an error, in such an important uh, matter or doctrine of the sanctity of uh, human life. So in that sense, you know, you could probably make an argument, the church could make an argument that maybe they're excommunicated because they're uh, espousing Catholic heresy. One who does that is, is called a, a heretic. Became more clear to me in our conversation of why Catholics weigh this issue of natural right to life above all other issues when it comes to their vote. But I asked Father Thomas when weighing all the moral issues and injustices and needs, and the candidate, could there be greater negative consequences in voting that way? I know exactly what you're, you're questioning. You know, we really don't know what's in a person's heart. Only God does. So we don't know if a person's view, say a politician running for office, we don't know if their claims on issues of life, marriage, euthanasia, transgenderism, the right to life kind of builds on on the others, you know? So if you take that right away, all the other rights don't mean anything. So the only thing that we have to, to really go by is what they say. If we're wrong, then it's, it's not really our fault. You know, Lord, I'm sorry. I thought I thought I voted for someone who's pro-life, and they, and they really weren't. I mean, God is not going to hold that against us. I think you that's know, like so blindly following, though. Like, if I look at <clears throat> what they say, and you really look for authenticity, vulnerability, how they've lived their life, mm-hmm. like, you can kind of smell the stinky fish, you know, your gut telling you, maybe even... God is telling you, like, I don't know. It's kind of going back to that you give the benefit of the doubt. Mm. Because you clearly can't vote, you know, for someone who espouses abortion. When they're not able to give of themselves. John Paul II was was so profound about this. He says, you discover the beauty of who you are when you make sacrifices, when when you give of yourself. That's when you realize how how special you are as a person and how unique you are as a person and how much, how value you are to to our other brothers and sisters, to to society. And the only way you can really experience that, that beauty is to, just like a Lord, he says, the greatest love is to simply lay down your life for your friend. You know, it's not about, it's, Christianity is not about preserving our life. That that can override, I heard you mention this earlier, some Jewish tradition. Uh, you put yourself first, and therefore you can bend the rules on the commandments, get a pass to break a commandment for self-perseverance. And then I shared with Father Thomas that I think that's the wrestle the conflict. 
Who is in the center of the decision? In his message, it would be self-centered for the woman not to give of her life, to lay it down. You know, that the feeling of being entrapped and, and having no place to go, feeling fear, see, those are all red flags that I've noticed this in my own life. When I experience fear, there's a little bit of pride there. There's a little bit of self-centeredness there. Actually, what it is, it's a little lack of love. And so I'm not, I'm not fully perfect yet. I'm, I know we're called to be perfect, like God is perfect. These things, heaven and hell, they don't really necessarily occur after death. They actually begin now. We shouldn't be discouraged about that, because if we have confidence in God, we should just get right back up on the horse when we fall and know that, that if we're truly sorry, He loves us even before we get to confession. It's the same thing in a way. The justification for abortion could be very easily linked to the justification for slavery. In the sense that you can espouse freedom over another person and have authority and power over another person, not just in slavery, but even to take their life because they may not be wanted. You first have to do, you have to practice a little eugenics and come to the conclusion that, you know, a slave is not, is not really human, that people who suffer with, you know, disabilities before birth or, or even after birth uh, kind of pollutes society so so we can kind of dehumanize them and if we can just simply remove the humanity of a of an unborn child it makes it a lot easier because now we haven't committed a crime if we just discarding tissue you know or maybe something that's an alien or something you know like a like a tumor or something like that, but we but we know that we're just not we're just not being honest. You know, we're not we're not really we're not really being truthful. You know, there are principles that that are foundational that that really benefit society when they're when they're recognized that a person comes into existence at the very moment that life begins. And that may only be one or two cells, you know, but mm. but that's um I'm going to wrestle with that thought because yeah. I'm also thinking of the woman as the slave as well. As a, as a as a what? As a slave? Yeah, like in the, in that metaphor, it's not even a metaphor. If you go with that line of thinking of tying to slavery, mm-hmm. is the unborn child the slave as well as the woman the slave? And and who's who's captivated her? I mean the child? In her womb, or society saying this is this is what is expected of you, this is what you must do, this is the choice you must make. Well, it depends on it depends on the society. If you have a healthy society, you're you're going to provide all the necessary things that new mothers need. Mm-hmm. You know, which I don't think we're perfect there yet. No. May not, but we should be, and that's and that's really an obligation on our part. You know, we all we all have an interest in one another, the mother and the child. Yeah. Maybe that's the common ground, Father. Mm-hmm. Is that for us to truly love one another and be connected? The common ground for all of us is 
kind of going back to Anne, what kind of community do we want to surround ourselves with mm-hmm. that that will choose the support that's needed if we want less abortion? You know, our government could be virtuous or it could be it could be wicked, and we don't want to live in a wicked society. We we want to live in a in a loving, caring you know society. If someone suggested that to me and I were a woman, I was pregnant, and, you know, and, and, and I was surprised I was pregnant, which is a little bit odd. But, um, but let's say it really does kind of reflect who we are. If, if we think it's perfectly all right to not provide help and just um, kind of be complacent. I, what I find today is that many Catholics, and you mentioned that many of them are they're pro-choice, they're indifferent. They don't. They don't really care, mm. you know. Um, or do they, you know, like what I found myself is it's such an intimate space to be invited into that it doesn't feel right for me to judge. Yeah, you can't impose your morality on somebody else. Well, I just want to say thank you for listening to the stories. Yeah. You know, yeah. thank you for talking with me. You're welcome. I, I have no, no doubt that God is going to abandon you or not answer any struggle, any question you may have in the faith. Anytime you ask for wisdom, that's such a holy thing to ask for. It's almost impossible f- for God to deny a request to be holy and a request to be enlightened on a, on a matter of truth. protesting abortion that makes me pro-life so what i've noticed is that on the street on their knees they're mostly catholics i would say 95 percent are catholic i don't i don't know where the other christians are but i don't see them there Anatomy of Change is executive produced by Tay Moeller, with post-production, editing, and mixing by James Feligi. Special thanks to Father Thomas for being this episode's guest. The original series music, titled Reborn, was composed by Adrian Berenguer. Additional music featured in this episode by Rosa, Kyle Preston, Savan Talmore, and James Feligi. Our website, where you can listen to all episodes, featured music, and find companion content, is Anatomy of Change. The end of the world at the palm of my hand When it all goes to hell, will you still be mine?